0: All right, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 40, Psalm 40. We are beginning a new series. It's really a wonderful way to start the year. I'm excited too. That's right. Uh, We're going to be focusing on discernment, discovering God's will for your life. Today I'm going to lay out a foundation. We're going to be in this for uh, four, four weeks, maybe five weeks or so. But I'm going to lay out a foundation today. And so I want to let you know ahead of time that for the first half of this message, I'm going to give you a lot, all right? I'm going to be a pretty broad. And then for the second half of the message... I'm going to get very specific and look at a particular passage. So stick with me for the first half. I'm going to be throwing out some different things here. But it's laying down important, an important foundation for the rest of our series. And so Psalm 40, uh, verses 1 through 8, I'm going to take my, uh, the core of my message from verse 8. But I want to give you the greater context of this chapter. So hear the word of the Lord. The psalmist says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put... Their trust in Him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord, my God, all the wonders You have done, the things You have You planned for us, none can compare with You. Were I to speak and tell of Your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Verse 6, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then he said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. And Here's verse 8, what I really want to focus on. I delight to do your will, my God. Your law is written, is within my heart. I delight to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart, Lord Jesus, we open ourselves up to you, to your love, to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and so lead us and guide us in the way that we should go. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. One of the more important tasks and most important tasks of our lives, especially as people who want to love God and follow Jesus in this world is learning how to discern God's will. Every one of us in 2019 will have to make important decisions. All of us in 2019 will have to think through aspects of our lives. And this is across the board. Whether you are a teenager, whether you are retired, whether you are anything and everything in between, this is an important issue. I think about all the decisions people in our congregation have to make, all the decisions people outside of our congregation have to make. We think about things like, which college do I need to attend or should I attend? I think about people wondering whether to take this career or that career. Should I continue to work or should I continue further studies? Should I have a change of place for my family? Or should I stay where I'm at? Should I be involved in this ministry? Or should I be involved in that ministry? Should I get married to this person or that person or not married at all? How many children should we have? Should I find a good nursing home for my aging parents? Or should I take them into our own home? Should I retire? Or should I keep on going? There are a lot of questions That we need answers to. A lot of decisions that we need to make. And for a moment, I want you to think about a decision that you need to make. An important decision that's before you in 2019. Maybe it's a decision that needs to be made by the summertime. Maybe it's one that needs to be made in the next few weeks. But what's a decision that you need to make? That you need the Lord's will, discernment to to discover God's will in your life. And how we make these decisions... It's critical to our life with God, to our lives with others, and how we make decisions in the world. Now, when we think about making decisions, there are three types of people, three categories of people, and how we make decisions. Perhaps more, but I want to just share three categories of people and how we make decisions. The first are those who are always discerning, but never deciding. Always discerning but never deciding. You're always seeking the Lord about something, but you never make a decision about what you are discerning. And many people, when they're always discerning and never deciding, it's really at least because of two reasons. Number one, you have not been taught how to truly discern God's will. And so there's a lack of teaching there. But there's another reality that we're faced with that we have a hard time deciding, often because we didn't get good human modeling. People didn't model things for us. And so to make a decision, for example, about committing to someone. Well, I'm discerning, I'm discerning. You're always discerning about whether you should commit. Maybe it's because you didn't get good human modeling from your parents or family members about committing to something. And so as a result, because of this deficiency in your life, you have a hard time deciding, and you're always so-called... Discerning. The second category of people are people who are always deciding but never discerning. And these are people who shoot from the hip. People, is it, does it feel good? Yes. Does it not feel good that I'm just going to go? And so, if the first group of people are paralyzed people, the second group of people are just reactionary people. I'm just going to make a decision. Your anxiety gets the best of you. And there's no time to discern. There's no time to pray. I need to make a decision right now. And so some of us are always discerning and never deciding. Some of us are always deciding but never discerning. What we want to get to the place is we are deciding from a place of discernment. How can we learn to decide from a place of discernment? And no matter what the issue is before you in 2019... The issue before you in the month of January, I want you to hold on to this important truth by one of the church fathers, a guy by the name of Gregory of Nazianzus, and he says that in God's will is our peace. In God's will is our peace. You'll never be more at peace than when you are doing God's will. Now, before we get into our passage, I want to define... Some terms. When I think about discernment, many of us maybe have our own definitions, but to discern very simply means to distinguish between things, to separate things according to their various natures. And at the core of this is I'm faced with a choice. And whether it's something like a career change or whether it's something that's Uh, a little bit more ordinary, the question that discernment brings to the forefront is, what does God want? Not what does my mother want. Not what does my boyfriend want. What does God want? This is the core of discernment. And so I need to discern. I need to discern. Now, when I talk about discernment throughout this series, I'm not talking about discerning between good and evil. I'm not talking about discerning between good and evil. Uh, We're focusing on the challenge of having multiple good options before us. We're not discerning whether we should steal money or not. (laughs) Amen. All right. It's like we don't have to pray about this. I got an email from someone a few years ago. He said, Pastor Rich, I'm wondering whether I should pursue a romantic relationship with the woman. The problem was he was already married. Brother, I mean, there's this <laughs> discernment. Brother, I don't know if that's a good word. I don't know if that's what your discernment. There's no need to discern here. Amen. And so when we talk about discernment. There's important components that we need to be holding on to. There's an author by the name of Timothy Gallagher. He wrote a great book on discernment and he says these components are threefold. When we think about discernment, number one, all the options before us are good, that we're not talking about good and evil. Number two, it's a choice of some significance. And number three, the person is free to choose. Either option. Free to choose. All the options are good. It's of some significance. And the person is free to choose. And so if my children got up tomorrow morning and said, I'm discerning, Dad, whether I should go to school today. No, no, no. There's no discernment here. You're going to school. You're not free to make that decision. But to discern requires us to hold those things together. It's, 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 uh, uh, it's, um, it's good. Some significance. Some significance. And we're free to choose. Now, when we make decisions, we often have at least four ways of making decisions. Four ways that really uh, go beyond a kind of prayerful discerning. The first way we typically make decisions is by pros and cons. You have a decision before you, you bring out your list, you put a line through the middle, you put pros here, cons on the other, and you make a list there. And if the longer, if there's more pros than cons, you go with the pros. If there are more cons than pros, you do something else. And this is a helpful approach, but this approach is based on practicality, is based on feasibility. But it's not really the primary way to start discerning God's will. Because you could have a lot of great reasons to do it and it still not be God's will. It could be feasible, but not God's will. And so pros and cons is helpful, But it's not a great place to start. The second place that we typically go to is how we feel. And next week I'm going to talk about this. This is an important aspect of discernment. But it's often, does it feel good? Yes. It feels bad? No. And so that becomes the the beginning and the end of our discernment. If it feels good, I'm going to say yes. If it feels bad, I'm going to say no. The third way we typically discern is we have this kind of Ouija board relationship with the Bible in which we, we, we want to just get God's will. We, we have a question, and then we open the Bible up, and we go, bam! And then if it's not something you like, you just turn the page and do it again. Bam! And, and, and then on, until you find something you like. And that's not a good approach either. It reminds me of a famous preacher story. someone was discerning God's will trying to discern God's will and they said I I don't know what to do and they opened the Bible and they said boom and and they they turned to the verse that said "Uh, uh, Judas hanged himself and they go that well that 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 can't be good and and that can't be God's will and so they turned it again and said boom and the next verse was go and do likewise they said no this can't be (laughs) this can't be God's will And so we have pros and cons, we have feelings, we have the Ouija board experience, or if not, we just throw out what's called in the Old Testament, kind of like a fleece. This is from the book of Judges, a guy by the name of Gideon. He's he's asking God to confirm something and he uses some kind of thing. And what we do is we say, if it rains tomorrow, that means God says no. If it's sunny tomorrow, that means God says yes. Yes. But Gideon didn't have the weather report. We have the weather report. And and so we don't need. But so these are the ways that we typically make decisions. But what we need, brothers and sisters, is a prayerful discernment, a prayerful discernment. And so before I go into Psalm 40, I want to lay down some important theological truths here. And and the first thing about discernment is that God wants to lead you. God wants to lead you. God's not holding out on you. God wants to lead you. Today is the day of epiphany. It's a day where we are reminded that God leads the magi to Jesus. He he leads them to God. He he, he wants to lead us. He wants to lead us to Christ. He wants to lead us to the way of Christ. That's an important thing to know. The second thing as we unpack in, uh, in this series is that Jesus teaches us to pray, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the core Christian prayer. And within the core Christian prayer, Jesus wants us to pray and live your will be done. When we talk about this sermon, it's important, thirdly, to note that you were made to have a communion of wills with God. God has a will. You have a will. And there's something beautiful about a communion of wills coming together for the sake of beauty, for the sake of goodness, for the sake of a flourishing world. You were made for communion of wills. And then lastly, the reason why discernment is so important is because discernment grows you up spiritually. It moves us from being spiritual infants and spiritual adolescents to spiritual adults, where discernment requires us to pray. It requires us to seek God. It requires us to read the scriptures. It requires us to open ourselves up to others and their wisdom. We want microwavable discernment. We are, I want it right now, Lord, but that doesn't grow us up. That doesn't teach us dependence. What we need, though, is to grow up, and discernment is a great way to grow up. And so, as we think about making decisions and discerning God's will, we need a foundation. And Psalm 40 offers us a foundation. And if we don't get what I'm gonna share with you in Psalm 40 and the implications there, it doesn't matter what else I teach, we're not gonna discern well. Psalm 40, the psalmist says in verse 8, I, my delight is to do your will. Keyword, my delight is to do. Your will. Before we can discern God's will, we need a heart that can delight in God's will. Before we can discern it, we need a heart that can delight in God's will. Karl Barth, the great theologian, says How can God give us an answer when we are still well supplied? With all sorts of answers of our own. How do we delight in God's will? And this is important for us because we have a hard time with this. But the psalmist delights in God's will. In verse 1 through verse 7, the psalmist brags about God. The psalmist lets the world know how good God is. And he gets to verse 8 with verses 1 through 7 shaping his imagination, shaping his thinking about God. And when he gets to verse 8, he gets to a place where he can say, In light of who God is and in light of what God has done, my delight is to do his will. Now, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, My delight is to think about your will. My delight is to consider your will. No, my delight is to do your will. God wants his will not to be simply considered. He wants his will to be done. Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not considered, not thought of, not not, not, I'm thinking about it. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But the word here that I want to just focus on is delight. The psalmist says, it's a joy for me to do your will. And this is important to highlight because many of us don't delight in God's will. We don't take joy in God's will. We have a hard time delighting. When I was a Christian, I became a Christian about 20 years ago. And for the first eight months after becoming a Christian, my grandfather would disciple me Two to four days a week, two to three hours each time, I'd sit next to him on his bed, and he'd go over the scriptures with me. Talk about a great foundation for the first eight months. And then he died. He was very sick at the time, and he died. But for eight months, two to four days a week, two to three hours each time, he'd teach me the scriptures, teach me about God, teach me about Jesus, the Holy, I mean, across the board. But one day I asked him a question. I would not ask him necessarily personal questions. It was was just more about theology and such. And so I said, Grandpa, can I, I interrupt. I said, can I ask you a question? A relationship had ended. I was a teenager and, and I wanted the relationship to be restored. And so I said, Grandpa, this is what I want. How should I pray for this situation? And in his broken English, he said, pray this. Lord, let your will be done and when he said that I was so depressed (laughs) I said no I don't I was like why would he give me that prayer and then he just kept going all right let's look at Ephesians no I don't want to look at Ephesians let your will be done now I had trouble with his advice for two reasons The first reason was I had heard that if you end the prayer with your will be done, it kind of cancels out any faith that you had. Because if you really believed God was going to do something, you wouldn't have to put the kind of footnote, let your will be done. It kind of showed that you didn't have faith, which is bad spirituality, bad teaching, bad theology. But the second reason why I had a hard time praying that was because I didn't trust God that God's will was good for me. I didn't trust them. Do I trust God's will to hold the world together? hundred percent. Do I trust God with my romantic relationships? No way. Yeah. Not a chance. <laughs> and so at the core of this is I have a hard time trusting that God's will for me is good. And at the core of this issue is a fundamental challenge that we have. And if we don't get this, it doesn't matter anything else that I teach you. If we don't have the right image of God, no matter what techniques we have, it won't suffice. And so at the core of the sermon is this. Our images of God need to be healed. Our image of God needs to... How do we delight in God's will? Our images of God need to be healed because we often have bad images of God and who would want to follow of God with the images that we have James Ryan Smith in his book the good and beautiful God he talks about the bad concepts of God that we have he calls them false narratives the the stories that we tell ourselves the story that we think about God and he leads us to consider the various false narratives, bad concepts, unhealthy images that we often have in our minds about God. Phrases that come to mind are like this. God wants me to try harder. God blesses me when I'm good and punishes me when I'm bad. God is angry with me. God is disappointed with me. God wants me to suffer for my sins God doesn't want to see me happy. If this is your concept of God and this is the story you're telling yourself, why would you follow God's will? Why would you want to delight in God's will when this is the story that you're telling yourself, when these are the images that you have in your mind? But praise God, this is not the image that Jesus shows us. Jesus Christ is the full representation of God. And when Jesus Christ comes on the scene, he shows us a a, a new facet of who God is. He shows us God in fullness and in finality. This is who God is, Jesus says. Brendan Manning, a great author who says, he says that the, the primary revelation that Jesus gives us is he shows us what God is like. Observe Jesus in the Gospels. Contemplate his love. Contemplate his mercy. Contemplate his tenderness, his compassion. Listen, we say God wants me to try harder. Jesus in the Gospel shows us these words. Instead of living this reality, God wants you to rest in his love. We say God blesses me when I'm good and punishes me when I'm bad. The Gospel says God makes the rain fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. We think God is angry at me. The gospel says God is in love with you. We hear God is disappointed with me. The gospel says God joyfully claims you. We think God wants me to suffer for my sins. The gospel says God has taken on your sins in his son Jesus. We think God doesn't want me to be happy. The gospel says God has endless joy for you in store. This is what Jesus does for us. Jesus shows us what the Father is like. The Father is good. The Father is trustworthy. The Father wants our best. Therefore, God's will can be trusted. We can trust in his will. This is the beginning of the Bible. This is the end of the Bible. This is everything in between. It's a simple message. God can be trusted. This is what the psalmist is doing for us in verses one through seven. Before he says, I delight in God's will, he says, I turned, I I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. Out of the mud and mire, he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. And then he says in verse Here I am, I've come. It is written about me in the scroll. Verse 8, I delight to do your will. He lays down a wonderful foundation. God, you are the one who delivers me. You are the one who loves me. Therefore, I delight to do your will. The psalmist is saying you can trust in God's power to save you. You can trust in God's provision to take care for you. You can trust in his mercy to forgive you. You can trust in his spirit to lead you. God can be trusted. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. He is reliable. Therefore, my delight is to do your will. My fundamental job as a preacher, week in and week out, is to present an image before you of God that has been fully expressed through the person of Jesus Christ. You want to know what God is like? Look no further than Jesus. My job as a Christian is to demonstrate and show who what God is like by pointing people to Jesus. My job as a parent is to show my children what God is like by pointing them to Jesus. Some time ago, I came across a great nighttime prayer for kids. It's called The Nighttime Blessing of Gospel Love. And in this blessing, this prayer, it's a series of questions that a parent, as they're tucking their child in to go to bed, asks their child. And the child simply responds with some answers. And so I heard about this a few months ago and decided to experiment with my children. And it's a wonderful prayer. And it goes, it goes like this here. The parent says, do you see my eyes? And the child says, yes. Can you see that I see your eyes? Yes. Do you know that I love you? Yes. Do you know that I love you no matter what good things you do? Yes. Do you know that I love you no matter what bad things you do? Yes. Who else loves you like that? God does. Even more than me? Yes. Yes. Rest in that love. I went to my daughter, Karis. I said, I got to experiment here. I got to do this here. And so I, I got to the point, I said, who else loves you like that? She thought for a second. She said, God? I said, yes, that's right. Went over to Nathan, my four-year-old. I said, who else loves you like that? He says, Santa Claus. Santa Claus. It was Christmas time. He was, he was fixated. He was, he was uh, I opened up a big systematic theology book. Well, son, we'll start again tomorrow. My responsibility as a follower of Jesus, fundamentally your responsibility as a follower of Jesus is to announce what God is like. What is God like? Who is God like? Jesus. He's the embodiment of God. God in flesh. Goodness and mercy. And so if you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. And as we look to Jesus, we see his goodness towards us. We are invited to delight in his will. Because his will ultimately is good. Now, when our image of God is healed, and images of God is healed, we're able to delight in his will because God's will is good. Now, before we take communion together, I know what some of you might be thinking. Some of you might be thinking, well, I trusted in God's will, and it still didn't turn out right. I trusted in God's will, and... My parent died. I trusted in God's will, and I lost my job. I trusted in God's will, and my marriage ended. I trusted in God's will, and now I'm in financial hardship. I want to give two words about this, because sometimes we trust in God's will, and it doesn't turn out the way that we want. The reality is we live in a sin-stained world where the kingdom of God is here, but is not fully here. We're waiting for Jesus Christ to make it all right, which is why, as Christians, we we yearn for his coming. Why do we yearn for the coming of Jesus? Because there are things that are not right. And no matter how many advances we have medically, no matter how many advances we have educationally, academically, it doesn't matter how many advances we have, the only one who's going to make everything new is Jesus Christ. And so we wait for his coming. And so we live in a sin-stained world. It's not God's will that there's war. It's not God's will that people are torn to peace. It's not God's will that you suffer needlessly. God has in mind joy for you, peace for you, but this is the reality of a sin-stained world. But the second thing I want to note is even in the evil that comes our way, God can bring about good. Even in the evil and problems that come our way, God can bring about good. Just look at Jesus. Psalm 40, verse 8 is actually a description of Jesus Christ. In the book of Hebrews, the Hebrew writer, he quotes this psalm, speaking of Jesus, where Jesus says sacrifice and burnt offerings. You did not require or desire. I have come to do your will. I desire to do your will. Jesus Christ. Son of the living God delights in doing the Father's will. But here's the thing. He delighted in the will that sent him to the cross. How can Jesus delight in doing the Father's will when it leads to crucifixion, when it leads to death, when it leads to being separated, when it leads to all the sins of humanity falling on his life? How can he delight in God's will? Simply because Jesus saw the bigger picture. That even though death is coming, resurrection's coming too. Amen. That even though the evil one seems to have a victory here, God will have the final word. And so I can trust his will, even though it leads me down the wrong path, which seems to be the wrong path. Pain and suffering comes our way. We as Christians have hope that Jesus Christ will have the last word. He is a resurrected one, the one who renews the world, the one who restores the world, the one who heals our bodies, the one who will make all things new. I will delight in the will of God because God will have the last word. And when we delight, brothers and sisters, in the will of God in this way, you know what it leads to? It leads to freedom. No longer do you have to live close-fisted, manipulating your way through life. And we are excellent at manipulating, subtle manipulation, and open ourselves up to the freedom of the Father's will. You know what this leads to? It leads to us not allowing anxiety to so dominate our lives. The, the, the problem we have with doing God's will is not simply we have bad images of God, it's all, we have anxiety coursing through our bodies. And so we're so afraid, so fearful. But when we can trust in God's will, and this happens over the course of time, as we contemplate Jesus in the gospels, as we pray, as we're in silence, as people pray for us, as we worship together, we need to do this over a period of time. But as we begin to do it, the anxiety that so dominates your life and dominates my life begins to loosen its grip. Some of you... There's so much anxiety. You think about financial decisions, emotional, relational decisions, vocational decisions. You've got anxiety coursing through your bodies. What you need is a new revelation of God's love in Jesus Christ who will move our hands from this to this. And this is the posture of the Christian, one who's open, one who receives, one who delights in doing God's will. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Let me invite you to close your eyes for a moment. As we prepare to take communion together, I want you to hold before the Lord whatever decision that's before you something that you've been puzzled about, anxious about, concerned about. And over the next few weeks, we're going to explore what does it mean to discern God's will. That God wants to lead us. What do we need to pay attention to? But if we don't start here, we're not going to get far. Jesus Christ loves you with an everlasting love. And he wants to lead us. Will it be easy? No. But it will be good. When we follow the will of the Lord and discern his will, it ultimately leads us into his life of abundance and freedom, peace and joy.